Ready, uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. The year, 3,955. Charlton Heston as Taylor, a 20th century astronaut, space-wrecked in the incredible future. Linda Harrison as Nova, a savage beauty from the enslaved and voiceless human race. They're marked for target practice. James Franciscus as astronaut Brent on a reckless mission to rescue Taylor, trapped by the swaggering, brutal master race of apes who dominate the Earth. A planet shattered by the atomic war of a distant, forgotten past. Where are you going? Into the Forbidden Zone. Someone or something has outwitted the intelligence of the gorillas. Invade! Invade! Face the terrifying dangers of the Forbidden Zone with them. Engulfing you in the shattering experiences that await beneath the planet of the apes. Well, there's an intelligence working in this place. They know we're here. We are determined to know what the apes want. War or peace? The superintelligent mutants. Are they human or something else? In their church, an unspeakable god. A doomsday bomb. Behind their faces, an unbearable secret. We don't kill our enemies. We get our enemies to kill each other. The irresistible war machine of the guerrilla army versus the devastating secret mind weapons of the subterranean mutants in civilization's final battle to answer the ultimate question. Can a planet long endure half human and half ape? Is it the beginning or the end? my fellow galactic travelers and welcome back to planet eight this is your mission commander larry speaking to you from our hidden base chief engineer bob is here by my side as always in the command center and circling planet eight in our orbital spy satellite is reconnaissance officer karen and on this episode of planet eight 
Not only do we have friend of the show, Lord Bloodraw, with us again, but we're going to be discussing Beneath. Beneath the planet of the apes. Straight away, we'll kick it up to the satellite. Karen, please enlighten us on the cinematic miracle that is <laughs> the planet of the apes. <laughs> well, Larry, so this is the sequel, the second film. Yes. In the Planet of the Apes uh, series. So Beneath the Planet of the Apes, uh, I'm just going to say, first thing, I don't know how this was a G-rated film. (laughs) (laughs) As we discuss it, there are a number of things in this movie that I think are far too shocking for a young child to see. (laughs) But it was G-rated, so... Keep that in mind, listeners, as we move forward here. Listener uh, discretion advised. <laughs> yes, your your listening discretion advised. Uh, but you know, Planet of the Apes was a big hit, and uh, they said, "Well, cheapers, we need to make a sequel to this." And sequels were a little bit unusual back then. Um, you know, nowadays it's day rigueur, but back then, you know, if a sequel was seen as kind of a shoddy attempt to make more money and yeah that's what they were basically doing trying to make more money um so essentially uh the associate producer mort abrams got together with a production executive stan huff and producer art jacobs and they discussed you know what could we do for a sequel um there were two big things in mind that they wanted to do they they wanted to have this movie have some sort of strong um visual shock in it similar to like the gorilla hunters that they had in planet of the apes you know that was the first big shock in that film when you see the the hunters turn around and it's like oh there's gorillas on horseback and then the other thing is they thought they needed a big shock ending that could match the statue of liberty now later on they sort of decided well you know maybe maybe that's not the thing that um, we can match but initially going into it they were they were thinking a shock ending was necessary um so they sort of uh went back to rod serling and asked him to come up with some ideas and uh, initially he was thinking that maybe tyler and nova could discover the remains of a, a big city like new york and maybe um, Taylor. I think I said Tyler. Taylor. <laughs> Who's Tyler? Um, you know, maybe Taylor would find some weapons and things and decide to carry on a a war against the apes as the last defender of humanity. Maybe even Nova would die and that would, you know, drive him further. Um, another concept Serling had in these initial phases was that more astronauts would show up and... Uh, that perhaps instead of going back with them, Taylor would stay, maybe a astronaut, a female astronaut would stay with him and they would, you know, begin to, um, you know, restart humanity. So Serling had some ideas. He didn't really flesh them out right away and he wasn't totally satisfied with them. At the same time, Pierre Wool, who had written the book, had come forward with some ideas that were... Um, essentially sort of a role reversal he was calling it planet of the men and he was going to have taylor work at re-educating mankind and and at the same time the apes were going to regress to a primitive state and at the end of the movie the big shock would be dr zayas in a circus 
as like a performing animal. And so, again, the producers were not real excited about these concepts. And the, the big problem, I think, with all of those initial concepts for the film is that it totally like changes the character of Taylor. Mm-hmm. Totally changes the character because, I mean, his arc in the film, in the original film, Planet of the Apes, is he's a total, you know, total nihilist, uh, total pessimist. Uh, there's there's got to be something out there better than man. And exactly. um, he's sick of the human race. One of the reasons why he left. He's just mm-hmm. tired of, of human society. Then what he goes through, what he goes through in Planet of the Apes, he starts to uh not feel more kindly towards but um he, he 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 starts to feel more empathetic towards the human society that mm-hmm. he left when they when they find the artifacts in the cave the human man right. was here before you and he was better than you you know then that whole crashes to that all crashes to the ground when he realizes they all blew themselves up mm-hmm. <laughs> so he goes he goes through this kind of uh, not optimistic but more um uh, uh, welcoming, more uh, understanding phase mm-hmm. towards human society. Then all that crashes down. So by the beginning of Beneath, he should be back to being a total nihilist again. Yeah, we right. had our chance, and humanity blew up the world. I'm just going to live with uh, Nova now, and you know, make the make the best of it. What am I going to do? Right. That's it. Right. So his his raising a human army to try to take back the planet. I would think he would be totally done with that. So that's that. That I think is one thing that, um, among many things, that I think the the script that they shot for Plan, uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes got right is Taylor's really hopelessness, his absolute hopelessness when he's mm-hmm. uh, when we when we meet him in this film. Well, I think yeah. that has a lot to do with the fact that Charlton Heston did not want to do the film. <laughs> right and it's like yes. uh, he finally agreed okay i'll be in there at the beginning but you kill me off and i guess the compromise was well you'll be in the beginning and you'll be at the end and then we'll kill you off but right yeah so it's not like they could delve deeply into the character of, of taylor because suddenly it's not about taylor it's about brent right. you know who uh exactly who basically comes on the scene played by james franciscus right and uh, and so it's more his story, but he discovers, you know, that and but, Karen will go into, but he discovers that Taylor's still there. Well, and it's not even really his story. If you come down to it, he's sort of just moved around locations, but <laughs> it, it really becomes more the story of the mutants versus the apes, right? And and that was sort of because. Uh, Mort Abrams came up with this idea while they were still sorting things out with Serling and and Boole. He was like, oh, well, what if there's this third group? You know, not the apes, not, you know, Taylor. What if there's this third group that's in the Forbidden Zone? And he started monkeying around. Ha, ha, ha. He started messing around (laughs) with this idea. I saw what you did there. Um, and, And started pushing this concept. So he was the one that came up with the idea of the mutants and started thinking about, you know, what could we do with that? What could we do with this idea? And so uh, there was some general dissatisfaction with the ideas they had. Serling was busy with other stuff. So they said, uh, oh, who else could we work with? And they found Paul Dane, 
who was a poet, but had also written scripts. He had done Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. And uh, they started working with him. And that's how they put together the script that they have with the idea of, you know, we'll have the apes go up against the mutants in the Forbidden Zone. So, you know, if we look at the movie, um, you know, essentially Taylor, like Bob said, he's in the beginning, but he disappears. Then Brent arrives in his spaceship looking for Taylor, um, runs into Nova. You know, they go back to the city and see Cornelius and Zira briefly uh, get captured. They escape. They wind up in the Forbidden Zone, get captured by the mutants, uh, Zaius, uh, or Ursus, General Ursus, who is the leader of the guerrillas, wants to prosecute a war against whoever's in the Forbidden Zone uh, because they know something's going on out there because their scouts have been uh, uh, missing and one came back and, you know, told right. them, oh, all this crazy stuff's going on. Uh, and so, you know, essentially we have this whole uh, confrontation between these two groups and Brent is just like caught in the middle, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, the mutants are an amazing creation. It could have been enough just to have irradiated mutants that are just kind of tribal and whatever, and they're going to take on the apes. No, you have mutants who have psychic abilities that can make you do or see or hear whatever they want you to do, see or hear. Not only that, but they're wearing, first of all, here's something that has bugged me about the film recently. When I was a kid, I just accepted it all blindly, but it bugged me. They can, they have the power of illusion. They can make you see whatever they want you to see. Why bother living your life in these heavy, sweaty, latex masks (laughs) that you only take off during your religious rituals and then put back on. Why not just project the illusion of whatever you want to look like? Well, yeah, of course, the answer to that is they didn't have the special effects to do that back then. So that's why they didn't do yeah, that. Well, either that or plus, maybe, it is they, a maybe there's like a time limit. You can only project that for so long, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is, I mean, there. It's, it's, it, it is shocking to see them take their masks off during the big reveal of of what what they look like. But not only all of that, but they also worship the bomb as a god. The, it's it's an amazing, I mean, just that science fiction idea alone, they could have made a, a movie just on that without the apes. Just, yeah. Well, that, that was one hell of a bomb, too, because it was able to destroy an entire planet. It wasn't like, you know, the we're launching Omega, a bunch of right. bombs and they destroy it. It's like, no, one bomb falls over. Right. Press a button and boom, the planet is gone. Right, yeah. Suppos- supposedly because it has a cobalt casing. Yes. Right. Science? Cobalt. Yeah, sure, why not? As, yeah. as Taylor says, yes. Right, yes. Cobalt yeah. casing. Exactly. <laughs> and, and of course, when I was a kid, because I saw I saw Beneath the Planet of the Apes when it premiered in 1970. Oh, Because af- wow. I, saw, I saw Planet of the Apes during a reissue. Uh-huh. must have been during a reissue. Then I saw Beneath when it came out. So to me, I thought, oh, of course, this is just a continuation of the story. Not thinking, oh, okay, the script writers did not know where they were going to go with the sequel. <laughs> so the scene in the original Planet of the Apes where they first crash land, they're coming through the desert and there's the weird lightning and the boulders that 
mm-hmm. that fall down. I thought, oh, those were the mutants. The mutant. It must have been like a mutant sentry in the forbidden zone, like just detected a presence with his mind and sent the lightning and and the earthquakes and everything after Taylor. I'm like, oh wow, now we get to meet the people who did that. Not knowing, you know, okay, yeah, no, the the, the script right. writers are just going crazy trying to figure out what they were going to do. But it works that way if you want to think about it that mm-hmm. way. So okay, this was. You know, we actually in, in that way we actually meet "quote unquote" meet the mutants before we meet the apes. It's in, a great, in the original Planet of the Apes. Yeah, it's a, a great rewrite. That's, yeah, that, that's our, that's my my own mental canon of Planet of the Apes. Yeah, <laughs> it was our first Planet of the Apes episode where you postulated that theory. It blew Karen's mind. Like I remember that a huge mm-hmm. gasp from Karen. Yeah, because I was okay. like, "Well, who put the scarecrows up? Was it?" Yeah, you know the people, the apes. Who and I was like, oh, maybe it was the mutants, and the, you know, maybe they were doing the lightning. And I was like, <gasps> you know, not not to be like anti-religion, but I I think you know there are some religions where they have monks take an oath of silence. There are nuns that have, you know, some religions there's some suffering and some penance involved, and maybe that was the mutants with their with their masks that that was part of the. And look, by no means do I study the Branch Davidian theology or or any of the other um, cults that are out there. But it was almost like their mutant cult that existed. And, you know, I was, well, you all watch the film again, but, you know, singing the hymns and and how it was just this bizarre. But it made me think like, oh, my God, there are cults out there today that worship the most bizarre things. I mean... Mm -hmm. So these guys are worshiping this cobalt, you know, bomb for lack of a better, you know, missile or whatever. Um, I don't know. It it just because the bomb in in essence created them. The 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 radiation uh, made them look the way they looked Mm -hmm. and created their society, created their possibly gave them their their powers. See now, see now, that's my question too. It's like, okay, is radiation leaking? Out of this cobalt casing, or was there another bomb that went off that, yeah. that created yeah. them? And this is a second well, it, bomb that. And if that first bomb went off, how come it didn't destroy the planet? Well, it did. That's why the Statue of Liberty is buried in a beach somewhere, right? It's only right. been less than two thousand years since Taylor left the planet. And that's why the subway, like they're in this mountain range and then he goes down a hole and they're in the New York subway. It's like, there's no mountains in New York City. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> it's like, this is a, an ins- insane amount of geologic change in 2000 years. It's oh, yeah. like, so there must have been massive nuclear explosions going on. There really shouldn't be any life. Well, but I, I, I don't know. think it was an Alpha Omega bomb that no, went off during, think, during the no, war. It was just no. like more conventional nuclear. Right. It was a bunch of nuclear weapons nuclear going changes. off. Yeah. yeah. So they, they became irradiated back then and uh, just carried, uh, carried, carried on the genetic, genetic mutations. And then did, well, the, and then did the apes spring from that or did it not affect the apes? Were they there before? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I've read, I mean, if you, and we're, we're going to get deep into the geek right now, but it, what I've read in like Planet of the Apes magazine from Marvel, remember back in the day, that kind of thing. I was going to mention that at some point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the, the, the way they explain 
apes going from being um, slaves in conquest of the planet of the apes to intelligent and hyper intelligent like Virgil and the orangutans in Battle for the Planet of the Apes in something like 10 years is the effects of radiation. Because in Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Cornelius talks about their history and says it took something like 700 years for apes to go from being taken as slaves to intelligent and rebelling against the humans. In, <laughs> in uh, this timeline, it's 18 years between becoming slaves to right. even less because Caesar is 18 years old at the beginning of, of conquest of the planet of the apes. So it's something like, you know, maybe 15 years, then they start becoming intelligent. Then they go become incredibly intelligent. So it's, I don't know. Well, <laughs> you, start, you start getting into all the time stuff with Cornelia, Cornelius and Zira coming back and then Caesar kind of creating the revolution and it's like right. did they alter their own timeline and <laughs> let, exactly. let us recall kids this is science fiction so something <laughs> can let go yes it, it's okay <laughs> yes. why did it happen because the writers wanted it to. That's why. <laughs> exactly. we need That's explanations <laughs> so maybe we should uh maybe we should just kind of bounce through since we kind of talked about how the the movie came to be do you guys want to just kind of bounce through it beginning to end and and we kind of jumped around a little bit but uh you want to how do you want to discuss it yeah I, I actually think that's a really good idea it was almost like uh, you know brent was taking the uh taylor tour of planet of the apes visiting the different locations um so yeah that's a good idea karen yeah, so, okay, as we discussed, you know, um, they actually start the movie with footage from the first film with, uh, you know, Taylor and Nova riding off and uh, seeing the Statue of Liberty. You know, then they ride into the Forbidden Zone and uh, that's when they start experiencing all the um, the illusions and seeing fire and uh sort of the ground opens up and uh you know taylor's trying to figure out what's going on and when he starts looking around he tries to um take his rifle and hit this cliff wall and he like falls into the wall and uh then disappears and and uh, nova is left by herself so that cliff wall is a permanent illusion then no i think it's in front of him yeah and then okay. disappears after he uh, disappears. Right, right. You're right. Okay, okay. But like we were asking before, is, is there a sentry mutant that's like making all this happen? Or yeah, is it like set on autopilot or what? Yeah, it's like how far away can they detect yeah. <laughs> people, right? Yeah. Well, later, Are... later in the movie, when we do meet the mutants, they say we've had guerrilla soldiers here. Mm -hmm. in front of us that they've interrogated so they've right. taken they've taken apes hostage before to try to figure out what their intentions are so i'm gonna have a question towards the end of this regarding uh, that and another ability that they had because this is a lot like the telosians from from star trek you know oh. project um 
uh, thoughts into into the hosts. But please continue. So then we we move uh, locations and we see a crash spaceship similar to the one we saw in the first film. But only instead of hitting water, these guys crashed in the desert. And in, uh, this is when we first see Brent played by James Franciscus. Um, interesting note, you know, when they were trying to cast Brent, they originally went to uh, Burt Reynolds. Yep. Oh. Yep. <laughs> and he turned it down. His agent, though, was James Franciscus's agent and brought him the script. And uh, he was interested, but he said... I don't know if I want to use this language on the podcast. Um, he referred <laughs> to the character with a word beginning with a P because he said he was not acting manly. Ah. And <laughs> a wimp. A wimp, yes. Well, supp- yeah, supposedly so, Franciscus had a, a large say in his character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, he just said that he was you know, running around asking people to help him and not being, you know, the person who was heading up his own destiny and being a man. So he wanted to rewrite a bunch of stuff in the script. I mean, I still feel like, to a large extent, Brent is just being pushed around. True. But But he finds himself on, he thinks, an alien planet with talking apes. How assertive can you be in that situation? (laughs) From what I from what I heard, he and the director Ted Post um, pretty much beefed up beefed up the character, fleshed out the character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, Franciscus, uh, he was mainly like a television actor up until this point, right? Uh Is this was this Uh before or after Longstreet? I think it's before. Isn't it? I think it's before Longstreet. Yeah. It, it might be before Longstreet. Yeah, in, in Longstreet, he played a blind yeah. uh, private mm-hmm. eye. And then uh, he was training at that time with Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. He was one yeah, of Bruce, Bruce Lee's Cheat Lee Kudo students. That's right. But, um, but yeah, Is so he... when I watched the movie and I see James Franciscus in there and our good old buddy Victor Buono... Yeah, it's hard for me to kind of like put it in a motion picture. It almost seems like a TV movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, and yeah. Uh, especially since well, the budget was like two point five million. Yeah, it, it was, was supposed to be like five of, million. Yeah. They cut it in half. They and slashed it. The studio was having major it. problems at that point too because they had oh yeah a couple bombs. It was it like Hello Dolly was a bomb. And Tora 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 was a bomb. Mm-hmm. Literally. And, they actually uh, <laughs> used part of the Hello Dolly set in mm-hmm. the mutant uh city. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where the where the bomb is, that's that grand staircase that right. the sh- classic shot from Hello Dolly. Yeah. And it's it's really kind of weird though too because when you look at movie, you, know, you look back at movies and you hear like Hello Dolly which is supposedly a classic musical or Tora 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 which is an excellent war movie and you hear that those were box office bombs and were mm-hmm. killing the studio it's like kind of hard to believe yeah. oh yeah oh yeah but you know so some movies don't become popular until late i mean i always think of right. john carpenter's the thing it was a bomb when it came out but right you know 
Right. I mean, so many things affect that, just the time in which it comes out, what it comes out against, what else is premiering around the time, what the general zeitgeist is at the time. You know, you can't really tell how a movie's going to do until like a few years after. And even then, it's like, you know, up to 10 years later, it could be rediscovered and longer than that. And, and, and uh, become a cult hit, classic, considered a classic, anything. Yeah. Well, I always look back at like movies like uh, like Ed Wood. That was a total bomb ah. at the box office. You know, but yeah. then again, it won Academy Awards. Yes, yeah. and a brilliant. Film. Or even yeah, like my favorite, The Iron Giant, which is uh, revered as a classic now, but it was a total bomb at the box office. Oh, we should uh, we should do to- an episode on box office bombs that became classics. I, I would pick Rocky Horror idea. Picture Show. Yes. Yes. But, yeah. speaking of Planet of the Apes... We digress. <laughs> <laughs> Some <laughs> took over our minds. Right, yes, yes. Yeah, so, let's see, where were we? Oh, the spaceship. So, so Brent and his captain, uh, who is critically injured are uh, in the desert with the crash uh, we're told that uh, Brent got a chance to look at the chronometer or whatever instrument and so the year is 3955 so they're nearly 2000 years in the future anyway he uh, winds up burying his captain and then who should come along but Nova and uh, he winds up uh, with Nova. Oh, he sees that she has ta- Taylor's dog tags. So he's like, oh, you know, take me to Taylor. Let, let me ask you guys a question real quickly. Not, not to pull a Steve on you, Walker. But uh, so, so this was a rescue ship, right? They, they were right. going to rescue. And it was just Brent and the skipper. Where was everyone else? When when Taylor got there, there were what four or five of them. Well, maybe I I don't know when I was watching it. So I watched it twice before this recording. Yeah. That ship to me looked smaller. It did. So maybe maybe it was a two person ship. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's that's my, you know. Well, Taylor's was my, like a complete yeah. mission, exploratory mission. Right. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Brent's was just a rescue. So. Yeah, you, you okay. probably don't need I mean, I as big a crew to rescue, but... I, I was thinking, like, aliens, you know, they sent the Marines to go rescue, but then again, they knew they had a xenomorph, so never mind. I, I, yeah, they didn't know they had like to go a, out and do any fighting, but... Um, but yeah, but that also obviously explains why they wind up on the same planet. It's like, okay, they were following his trajectory and, mm-hmm. and all right. that, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, otherwise, if they had just put like, hey, here's another ship that crashed on the planet, you know, and they happen to know each right. other, it's like, yeah. And something right. in, in canon that was a, kind of uselessly confusing was you said that uh, the, uh, Brent checked the chronometer and it was 3955. I believe in the original Planet of the Apes is 3962. I think. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I think there is a so, discrepancy between the two movies. Yeah, well, but but Brent says the chronometer says stopped at thirty nine fifty five, so we don't know. But he says something words to those that effect, so uselessly confusing. <laughs> Could have just stopped at the same time. Anyway, 
Dan, when was the TV series? Oh, uh, <laughs> 74? Uh, yeah. 74, 75, something like that? Huh? What? No, I was mean, this? when was the, the end time? Oh, like, the end time. When was it set? I end think time. it's something like a 500 to 1,000 years before Taylor, okay. which makes... Well, oh, the TV series. Uh, <laughs> loved how, it. How loved about it the cartoon? Stop. Oh, the cartoon? The cartoon? Yeah, well, who knows what the cartoon... Oh, that, yeah. That's an alternate timeline. You know... That's, that's, the, plan, that's the Planet of the Apes Kelvin timeline. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was such a huge Planet of the Apes fan as a kid. Well, still am. Um, and I even watched the, the TV series, but the cartoon mm -hmm. I could not get into... I think mainly because the animation, but yeah, I really never watched the cartoon. I mean, that was the, filmation, which at the time was yeah. a pretty major Saturday morning cartoon factory. And I got to say, you know, you look at the opening and it has the scarecrows and all that in it. And for the time for a Saturday morning cartoon, it was pretty dark. At least the opening was. Mm -hmm. I started rewatching the cartoons and yeah, the animation is a little hard to get past, and you got to turn off your geek canon mind. Is okay. When, when is this happening? Who? Why? What? Why do they have technology? Da 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 da. And I found that the first, I think, four or five episodes are pretty good. The stories are okay. I mean, you've got to just take it for what it is, not try to fit it into the ape timeline. It's pretty good. Then it totally falls off a cliff. And the episode where <laughs> it totally goes crazy, I forgot what the circumstances are, but it seems like they threw so much just juvenile idiocy into it. I mean, they're watching Ape News on the Ape Network. <laughs> Uh, there, everything has ape before it. Like in Batman, there was the bat, the bat computer and the Batmobile yeah. and everything like that, which was camp. In this was ape news and uh, uh, I forgot every everything was ape this ape that. You know, it, it made absolutely no sense, and the stories just really fell off a cliff after that. I so need to actually I, I go back. I need to actually go back episodes. and look at it. I found it at uh, Rasputin's for like three ninety nine used mm -hmm. disc. So. Well, that was an ape bargain. It was. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I went ape when I found dollars it. for it. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, funny enough, I think the cartoon was closer to the original novel than yes. than the films or the TV yeah. show in that they had cars and helicopters and and ape TV networks and mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it, it was. I agree with you, Frank. After about that fourth or fifth episode, it was kind of like, what? <laughs> yeah. No, then, yeah, it, it just totally it falls apart after that. Yeah. But back to Beneath. But back to Beneath. So anyway, uh, Brent and Nova go back to, he, she takes him to Ape City. And uh, I think they're trying to go for kind of the shock of like, oh, look, it's Ape talking and doing stuff <laughs> there's a lot of sort of replays of you know taylor's experiences but with brent 
Right. And, uh, you know, we get to see the the uh, sort of amphitheater, you know, filled with apes. And this is where we get General Ursus played by um, James Gregory. And I think Stand everybody. Yeah. You, I think everybody's kind of heard that um, they had approached Orson Welles. Yeah. To, to play Ursus. And he was like, no, an actor can't have a mask on, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Gregory was. And apparently yeah. Ernest Borgnine, too, was, was oh, really? considered. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, I had not heard face. that. Yeah. And he would that's come back in a mask in the devil's reign. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's All right. that goo shooting out. But, um, yeah, I think James Gregory was fantastic in oh, this. Yeah. I mean, he stole yeah. the show. I Absolutely. think he, he was the most emotive with his facial yeah. expressions. I mean, he was really able to yep. get a lot of emotion out of that mask. Yeah, he seemed to enjoy it. He seemed to really enjoy the challenge of 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 uh, acting as a gorilla under that makeup. Yeah, and you talk about those masks too. It's like if you look at those scenes, especially now that we have you know HD and Blu-ray and it's all crystal clear. Yeah, you you basically you had maybe half a dozen apes that had the full makeup. Yeah, and those were like you know Zeus and Ursus and you know the main apes. The rest all have these masks Yeah. that, you know, I mean, they look good, like way in the background, but sometimes they get a little too close to the camera and you can kind of see the they eye look, holes and the, they look masks brain damaged. Than, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you see there are more masks than makeup. They, they looked like mutant apes. I was waiting for them to take their faces off. Well, maybe they were mutants, like, in disguise, like, infiltrating. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It was all yeah. an illusion. Yeah. That's they're right. all kind all of sitting there. They're sitting there with their mouths open and their eyes kind of half shut. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, effect of the heat, uh, badly slashed budget. Because you oh, never yeah. saw that in the original Planet of the Apes. Every single one of those, even in the background, were wearing makeup. Mm-hmm. More rudimentary, yeah. but they were wearing. Yeah. Well, I think some of the in the background, I think they still had masks, but they were more well done. Mm-hmm. That could be the case. Yeah, that they, could you be know, the case it's like too. you have a mask, but instead of just having eye holes, you know, it would be a tighter mask, and they'd put makeup, you know, around the the eye right. hole to hide yeah. that it's a yeah. Right. Yeah, these were clearly mass produced. Oh, yeah. Masks that they just slapped over people's heads. It might have been like Don Post masks or something. (laughs) (laughs) Go down to the local, uh, you know, pharmacy and buy some uh, Don Post masks and throw them on everybody. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, Ursus is extolling the need to uh, invade the Forbidden Zone. And so, you know, Brent sees this and starts freaking out. And, uh, Nova, I think this is at the point where Nova um, decides, oh, we we need to go see Cornelius and Zira. Actually, Brent gets shot. Yeah. By arm. a gorilla. Right. They're hiding in a bush and he gets shot in the arm. And uh, then they go to see Cornelius and Zira. Zira, again, played by Kim Hunter. Mm-hmm. But Cornelius is played by, uh, oh, gosh, David, David Watson. Wallace? Watson. David Watson. Yeah. So we get the whole scene with them going to the apes and the Zira and Cornelius being astonished by another talking human. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yet again, another talking human. Yes. 
Well, you know, it's funny yeah, it's because kind of cool uh, don't they initially kind of uh, mistaken him for Taylor? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like, oh, you humans oh, look oh, it's alike, another one. you know. <laughs> <laughs> They're falling from the they sky, all... Cornelius. <laughs> they, they well, I mean, especially because they he's there. With, I mean, they, they immediately recognize Nova. And I guess they just assume that that's Taylor with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, well, it's, kind of, it's funny, too, because, I mean, they sort of, uh, they're, if you watch like the documentaries or you read some of the, the background stuff, they sort of wanted an actor who maybe looked a little like Charlton Heston or, or would give that sort of um, identification with Charlton Heston. And I think at some point somebody said that Franciscus was sort of like a mini Chuck. <laughs> you know, he was smaller than him, but he kind of yeah. looked a little like him. Um so Definitely you could, Charlton Heston light, yeah, no, yeah. Not to take away from from that actor, but no, definitely that's why he was cast. So yeah, then they they get uh, some information from them and are are sent on their merry way uh, to go f- find Taylor because they're told, uh, you know, well he was on this path such and such way. Um, they get a visit also. Uh, Cornelius and, and Zira get a visit from Dr. Zayas at that point as well, still yeah. played by Morris Evans. And there's an, they're trying to hide some bandages that they had for, for Brent. And so Zira makes up the story that Cornelius hit her, which is pretty awful. Which, what? <laughs> yeah. Imagine. If anything, I could see Zira. <laughs> giving Cornelius a shot in the mouth, but cannot imagine that's just not only yeah. terrible, but so out of character for for Cornelius. Yeah. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and I think at this point, it, it's either before this or after this that we have this bizarre scene of Zeus and Ursus in a steam room. That just caught me. <laughs> yeah, that was one <laughs> scene I really did not need to see. <laughs> well, it's pretty terrible suits that they have on. They're just oh. baggy and loose. There's no like definition in them. They're just well, cheap yeah, gorilla I, I, suits. If anything, Zeus's suit is actually better than Ursus. I mean, you know, Zeus, he's passable, but yeah, yeah, the this other one looks like uh, like a gorilla suit. Yeah, there's no way that that bulk fits into those clothes when you see him in his <laughs> uniform. There's no way. Yeah, with 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 um, it actually it looks almost like body makeup. It probably isn't, but it looks closer to body makeup for Zayas mm. for Marie Sevens. But no, they just put uh, Ursus in a stock gorilla suit. They must have been they've been hanging in the prop department in <laughs> 20th century. Maybe it was it's Bob Burns playing him. Now I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bob Burns is General Ursus. That would have been fantastic. <laughs> oh, that would have been wonderful. <laughs> I just have a hard time imagining that a gorilla, that any creature covered in hair like that, is like, yeah, I want to sit in a steam room. I want to get all covered <laughs> in water. And yeah, yeah just... I'm pretty sure they threw those suits away after that scene. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the scene wasn't very long either. I mean, it, they could no. probably right. only sit in there for so long. Yeah, true. But no, that was that was an 
odd scene. That conversation could have taken place anywhere. In a steam bath, I don't know. Why a steam bath? <laughs> Who decided it was like, well, where? Well, they could be sitting having drinks in Dr. Zayas's office. They could be, how about a steam bath? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, anywhere in an ape's restaurant, anywhere. Sure, why not a steam bath? Yeah. I want to see what they look like with their clothes off. Who? I mean, what the hell? I don't know. It's just too weird. Too weird. Yeah. It was a weird, weird choice. Yeah. Well, the steam room may have been like a stock set, and they figure they save money. Then they realized they had to come up with full body ape suits, and they came up with Zayas. <laughs> and then they're like, "Oh well, that's it for that budget." So, uh, <laughs> was call there, Bob was Burns and get the monkey suit. Right. Was there a steam room in either Hello Dolly, Tora Tora Tora, or Star? Because <laughs> that seems to be where they were taking all their stuff from. So. Well, Tora 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 is the only one I've seen, so there could be one in either of the other two. <laughs> could be in a deleted scene from one of those three, too. <laughs> Jeez. So then, uh, let's see, where are we at? Okay, Brenton Nova. Uh, try to leave the city. Um, they get captured mm-hmm. by the gorillas. So they wind up back in the city. <laughs> uh, Zira tries to um, get them released into her care, but Ursus says, no, 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 these are going to be target practice. So they get put in a little wagon and she unlocks the wagon so they can escape and uh, then we get this pretty bad uh, rear projection or what do you want to call it scene where Brent is fighting the uh, gorilla uh, on the wagon while it's moving. Um, man, he doesn't actually overpower the gorilla. The gorilla gets hit by a branch on a tree. That's right. And, That's right. and that Which, branch is from the Three Stooges episode. Yeah. Of- <laughs> yeah. And again, something that these films uh was looking back on it now is you know anybody like hitting hitting a gorilla in the face and knocking them out it's like no (laughs) yeah no no no, that doesn't happen but we before he escapes we do get a look at the gorilla camp oh yes yeah where they're (laughs) one scene is they're tossing a boulder Boulder back and forth forth. (laughs) uh humans on horses and they're netting them and Apes do apes doing calisthenics, which I thought yeah. that that struck me as strange. Yes, apes doing windmills and some strange stuff there. The boulder scene, though, yeah, really, that was really hilarious. But. Yeah, so it's like okay, we we will we will nod towards the fact that gorillas are incredibly strong, and yet a human can easily incapacitate one <laughs> with a shot to the jaw, right? Yeah, there's not a lot of consistency. Not a lot of consistency there, no. Um, so yeah so they race off they get they get the horses from the cart they race off and then uh, they're chased by more gorillas and this is the part where yeah they're going on on this uh, like dirt path around these mountains and uh, he they get off the horses and they find like this little I don't know what it is, a hole or whatever that he decides they're going to go hide in. Yeah. And that's where they find the New York subway. <laughs> yes. So yeah. this is the implication, as we were talking about before, like, oh, okay, these mountains and hills and stuff 
formed over the city, apparently. Um, and this is the point where Brent gets to have his damn it, you really did it moment, you know, realizing where he is, that he's back on Earth in the future and that they blew it up. Right. Damn With you all to hell. Nowhere near the impact. No. <laughs> his freak out, his freak out is nowhere near Heston's freak out. Right. It's pretty <laughs> it's mild. Like, oh, damn. It, it's almost at that point where the the um, Heston tour ends and Brent gets to discover his own personal planet mm-hmm. in hell <laughs> yeah. with the mutants. Well, see, because it's really like it's hard when someone tells you you need to recreate a shocking moment like the first film. Whereas I think in yeah. the first film whether it was the gorillas on horseback or the uh, Statue of Liberty, it was like part of the story and it was just kind of, they weren't saying, all right, we need a shock ending or we need the, you know mm-hmm. a shock right here. It just happened naturally. Mm-hmm. And now you're trying to force it. You know, it's not, it's hard to duplicate it. that kind of thing. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. And, Look, whether you love Heston or hate Heston, for whatever reason, the guy could act. I mean, oh yes, you know, and 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 not to take away from James Franciscus, but I don't think if he was in the first Planet of the Apes film, he would have had the gravitas and presence that Charlton Heston had. No, no, no. So there's charisma. And now, now, correct me if I'm wrong. But somehow did Charlton Heston's teeth get bigger in this movie than the first film? Because, <laughs> I mean, he's got some big old choppers going on in some of those scenes. Well, that, that's, that's, always, that's always his, that's always his, uh, his uh, signature is talking to his teeth. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if it was the lens they were using or what it was, but it's the radiation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the radiation made his teeth grow. Maybe because he didn't really want to be there. Maybe he was grimacing a lot more. Maybe could I be. I don't know. Wasn't his thing that that he wanted his profit to be given to charity? Yeah, well, yeah, to his credit, yeah. Now, yeah. The, unfortunately, this is not entirely true. Oh, oh. So I, I I had two references for this. I came across his autobiography in the used bookstore the other day. I was so happy I got it so cheap. Um, and also another book I was reading, uh, Planet of the Apes Revisited. Mm-hmm. He deferred his salary, but he deferred it to the prep school his son was attending. Ah. <laughs> sure. So he gave it away. Charity. Yeah. Still charity. Yeah. So, well, so, more of a tax okay. write-off. <laughs> that too. They're not mutually exclusive. Well, hey, charity is charity, so. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair so, enough. A, li- a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Larry, you're right. We are now on the Brent tour because. Yeah, right. Although, although technically Taylor met the mutants before Brent. No, but, oh, we just but didn't we, we never saw it. Yeah, we didn't see it. Right, right. There's a book called Death of the Planet of the Apes by Andrew Gaska. And yes, Lord Bloodra, I have it right here. Oh, okay. And this book. It's fairly beefy. It's, uh, oh, heck yeah. 
uh, let's see, 450 some pages. That book goes into detail about what happened to Taylor after he Ooh. met the mutants, but it also goes back and it's crazy. It goes all the way back and it talks about how ANSA, their version of NASA, yes. started their space program. And apparently it was with retrieved US extraterrestrial technology. <laughs> it's yeah, you got to check it out. It's it's crazy, but that book um, goes into all those details about what happened with Taylor when he met the mutants. It also talks about how Milo recovered the spaceship. Good, okay. And started repairing it, and I think he got technology from Brent's ship as well. Anyway, yeah. anybody interested in the backstory should probably read Death on the of the Planet of the Apes. Okay, well, and along those lines, I would like to recommend. Uh, the Boom Studios graphic novel mm. series, yeah, Planet of the Apes, too. because they do a great job of tracing the timeline of Planet of the Apes. And it, it's it's the best that I've seen uh, explaining uh, really everything about uh, leading up to Taylor's uh, landing on the planet mm -hmm. and the, 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 the political circumstances, the the geological circumstances they explain why there's no moon yeah uh, <laughs> there's uh a lot there and it's really it's really wonderfully done and just to sidetrack for a minute in that canon of of boom studios planet of the apes by the time taylor lands the ape society is dying it's essentially dying they're talking about famine because the crops are failing because the entire ecosystem of the planet is beginning to die, mm. because the moon is gone. That's part because mm -hmm. they're which uh, according to that there shouldn't be any waves, but there's waves about it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's really I highly recommend. There's a series of graphic novels on Planet of the Apes from Boom Studios mm -hmm. that if you're if you're interested, check them out. Yeah, I had gotten one graphic novel uh, from Boom, and that was actually the adaptation of the original novel. Mm. So it yes. was the original Planet of the Apes, but it was the novel and not the film. And uh, right. it was pretty good. Oh, yeah. I think I also got like Planet of the Apes meets Star Trek or some. <laughs> I don't oh, know if that was, that was really like, like an yeah. IDW like or one. something. Yeah, that IDW. one was really fun. It was. And then there was also, also like there was also like King Kong on the Planet of the Apes. Mm hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't bother buying that one. But. Well, you know, they also collected. Uh, I think there's, I don't know, two or three, maybe more archive editions that they collected all the Marvel magazines in. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So those are those are pretty neat. It's interesting with with all of the current genre stuff out there, Mandalorian, and you know, the Marvel Universe. Um, we're still going back to a little film that started in 1968 and purchasing all these books and, and comic books. And, and there's so much creative talent around that story. Um, it, it's pretty cool. It really speaks to the source material. Oh, oh yeah. It'd be interesting to see was... 40 years from now if something like Mandalorian is still being collected yeah. and whatever. Yeah. Of course, I'll be dead by then, but... <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you, you might be a brain floating in a jar. That's right, right, in a jar. 
<laughs> One other thing I would suggest, I know we've digressed again. Um, there was another really good collection of short stories, Planet of the Apes short stories called Tales from the Forbidden Zone. Hmm. And they were just set all over the place. Some of them were like, you know, before Taylor came, some were, the really good one was like after Taylor came and what he did. And um, there were some that were set on other parts of the planet and had different types of apes. Okay. Uh, they're just all sorts of short stories by a bunch of different people. So um, I would recommend that one if you are really interested in uh, like a diverse set of stories of, you know, the different characters and different time frames and stuff. Excellent. So where okay. are we in the movie? Where were we? Let's see. Oh, so yeah. So Brent is underground. Um, and, uh, <laughs> let's see. Oh, they, they, uh, they discover the, what is it? Cathedral. Um, yeah. and he, he basically interrupts one of the mutants while he's worshiping well, the bomb. Well, before that, he, he drinks from a fountain. Oh, and correct, I sir. thought originally that the fountain was poisoned because I didn't know where they were going with this. And then he starts to get a little bit crazy, well, get crazy and attack Nova. Right, right. And that was a that was a shocking scene when I was a kid. A G movie, by the way. I was going to say. And he almost drowns her. He tries well, he's to like, he's her like kissing fountain. her and strangling her at the same time. That's right. Yes, that's right. Wasn't it because the mutant was telling him to yeah. do that? He started yes. hearing the little yes. pitch. Oh, yeah. And and I want to say that is some of the finest acting I've seen on screen is him just kind of like talking to the mutants while he's talking to himself. Well, I don't know the answer to that question. Why would you ask that? (laughs) Oh, is that why you asked that? Well, okay, but it was like, wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, he did a good job with that. I mean, I, I wake up some mornings and have those types of conversations with myself. So, <laughs> when can you retire? Another twenty years. Will you last twenty years? <laughs> and I, I also thought it was interesting that they they use the different like tones to uh, let us see that, that you know that's how they're communicating with him, rather than them you know having a voiceover of well, Brent, we we see that he's like. Right. (laughs) Each one had a different tone. Yeah. Yeah. Indicating which one it was. Yeah. Yeah. They they did a a lot was very right in this movie. They they thought it out and executed it quite well. Yeah. In this film. And then he finally gets to meet uh, Taylor. Right. Well, yeah, they do all this stuff to Brent trying to force him to tell them what's going on with the apes they think right. maybe he's he's an agent you of, know an agent of the apes and then eventually he tells them yeah the apes are gonna you know they're they're gonna march on your city right. um and then we do see the apes in the forbidden zone you know because, ursus and his army apparently because they, they said they had a gorilla there yeah. and tried to interrogate him and they couldn't get any information from the gorilla so apparently they can project project uh, illusions mm-hmm. that the apes can see, but they can't read the minds of the right. apes. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, interesting. So, is it like yeah. a species issue? Is his, it... skull, his skull is too thick, according to Zeus. 
Well, well, that's actually, what they say. Maybe their skulls were yeah. too thick or they knew nothing at all. Yeah. Right. There was a Boom Studio comic that addressed that very issue. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I missed that one. It's like, which issue? Let me write that down. Yeah, which issue is that? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, Karen, because as you and the gang was, we were talking about these different things, I'm writing down, okay, Boom Studio comic book, must read, Death of Planet of the Apes, must find on Amazon. <laughs> Yeah, must find used copy on eBay for five hundred and sixty dollars. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, he's he's interrogated and and we find some some things out, and he he fesses up. He cracks because I think they threaten to have him kill Nova because he's like, "Are oh, you going to kill Nova? No, you're well, going to kill her." Right. He that and he's. I think that's where he's like kissing her and strangling her at the same yeah. time. And yeah, yeah, it's really it's disturbing and again watch. you want like a six-year-old kid watching this i don't know it's just like rated g <laughs> for all audiences right right rated g for good god, <laughs> good god. great googly moogly so but he I, does I, finally tell them yeah that uh, the apes are marching on your city mm-hmm. and we and they are the shot of the ape army you know, General Ursus and Dr. Zaius, you know, the protector of the faith or whatever at the, at the head of the army. I really enjoyed the this scene, you know, because the mutants project, you know, these b- big walls of flame. Yeah. Um, Apes and, hung upside down, bleeding. Yeah, the upside down. Again, G-movie. Um, G movie, right? Right, and then yeah, then they have like a projection of the lawgiver over everything. The apes are all freaking out, like, "Oh, it's the lawgiver!" Right. And then the, he's bleeding; his eyes, and mouth, and everything are bleeding. And oh, but before that, when they're first leaving the city, there's the scene oh, with the chimpanzee so protest, terrible. Yeah. which is yeah, that it's it's so dates it. It so puts a it, 1970 right. timestamp on you know, this movie. I read that, so Ted Post was the director. He was the second choice. The first one left because he couldn't get along with the producers. He he didn't want to do it. And uh, apparently Ted Post really fought with, um, what's his name? Uh, Mort Abrams over Mm. that particular scene. Abrams really wanted it in the movie. Ted Post did not. And so that's why you get such a crappy version of that yeah. scene. It's yeah. so heavy handed. And, you know, they wanted to do something, I guess, that like spoke to the youth of the day. Right. But it just comes off so terrible, you know. Hey, we're yeah. protesting for peace. And they had like, <laughs> you know, 10, 10 apes sitting in the middle of a little dirt intersection it just holding feels... up their signs mutants are apes too kind of sort of just a bunch what? of hippie chimps <laughs> and it really makes no sense because they don't actually know if there's anything living there exactly they're not sure they say they have some intelligence there might be something living in the fin zone we don't know we're going to go investigate, and if we find them, blow them the hell up. That's basically <laughs> what their mission was. They don't know that they're actually going to war. Right. 
against well, anything. They don't know what's well, there. I, I will say one of the things that was kind of striking to me was going over the bridge or, or whatever that um, mm-hmm. to to get to across the water, and they were carrying cannons. Mm-hmm. You know, so they they were there was going to be a fight. I don't know if it was going to be war, but. The apes were going to kick someone's ass. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Now, one of the things that was very revealing and, and kind of satisfying to me, because it really spoke to um, to the character, um, they get there and, and you know, the, the lawgiver shows up and the wall of flame and, and all that. And... Um, Dr. Zayas... Yeah, oh, I could not think of his name. <laughs> Very revealing that he says, you know, General, you should shoot those apes rather than have them suffer. And the first thing he says back is, ape will not kill ape. But okay. Zaius was like, no, kill him. And it's like, well, wait, aren't you the conscious of the, 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 the brain trust of ape society? Yet you would so readily kill, have ape kill ape? Which is bizarre going back to the protest scene because when they come up on the protesters, Ursus pulls his gun. Right. <laughs> and Zaya says, We don't want martyrs. Right. He says, Okay, so he tells one of his underlings, Do it quietly. And they're just dragged away. To, to so me, then, this was almost like modern day politics. <laughs> well, in, in, yeah. in society. Right. So right. Maybe, maybe he doesn't want to kill his soldiers. But well, it's a different that, message, right? Because right, like, it's yeah, it's okay well, to kill these protesters because they're a bunch of troublemakers. Well, they're just chimps. Oh, go ahead. And right, these are just chimps. We're not gonna, you know, I won't shoot a gorilla, but these are just chimps. Hmm. Yeah. Well, ape law is good as long as it's convenient. <laughs> Which is is true again, yeah. <laughs> like modern to, times. Uh, modern times, yeah, yeah, yeah. But. Uh, also, you know. oh, okay. I, I was just saying, how do they even have a conception of war, really? Because they, you know, ape shall never kill ape, so they don't war against each other. And with the humans, they just hunt them because the humans don't fight back. Maybe so, it's the, the stories that they tell of the before time. So what, of human beings fighting wars? Of the great wars. There are some threads you can't just pull <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd have to go back to the death of the planet of the apes to figure that one out, Walker. Yes, let's study it scrupulously and we'll write a thesis about this. Here's the beauty of it is that I'm sure someone out there has figured it out and <laughs> written about oh, it. I mean, you know. But anyway. Um, well, but and Zaius charges into he, the flames. Right. Because yeah. he has he, faith, right? He has right. faith. Yes. But he and, knows, he knows that things used to be different. He knows yeah. that humans used to roll, rule the planet mm-hmm. and that apes were animals. Mm-hmm. So it's funny to me that he's the one who thinks this is unreal and I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to write into it. I'm going to prove that this isn't real. I think he doesn't, maybe he doesn't realize that it is mutants that are projecting this, but he, he's calling bullshit on them. Yeah, <laughs> you know he. So maybe it's not so much faith as just he he doesn't believe it's real. He just maybe a little maybe a little bit of both. You know, maybe a little bit of both. He he understands, 
you know, where they came from, what existed before. And maybe Zaius has been out that way before, you know, and wasn't Good captured point. by the mutants. I mean, he's a very intelligent, you know, manipulative SOB. So yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think seeing seeing the statue of the law, lawgiver bleeding. Oh, God, him. It was like, no, this can't be. That's the lawgiver can't bleed. No, this is a lie. This is a lie. And I'm going to prove it's a lie because he's watching every he's watching his entire religion burning in front of him. Right. So I think I think I think that's what he rebels against because he is. I mean, there's the whole cynical thing of he knows the truth, but he's going to protect it. But he's protecting it to maintain the faith. He's denying what he's denying the facts to maintain faith in the lawgiver to preserve ape society. Mm. That's why he's doing it to, 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 to preserve the religion, to preserve the, right. uh, the, the culture of the, yeah, I, just, so I think that's why he charges in there. Yeah. I just never really knew if he really believed in the religion, but I guess it's a moot point in some ways because he just wants to disprove what's going on there. Yeah, he's just. I I think somewhere in there is probably a bit of well, I'm going to show up Zeus. I mean, I'm going to show up Ursus. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to show him up because he's kind of cringing over here. I'm going to, (laughs) and it does anger Ursus. Oh yeah, you can tell after that he's like, uh, damn it. Yeah, I got to deal with a big-headed Zayas now. It could have been nice. his spot if he'd ridden out into it. So exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. So at, at this point, Zayas is right. The gorillas see it was all an illusion. They march and on. Does Brent meet Taylor at that point? Then is yeah, because they they take him and they throw him into. Uh... Oh no, they go actually. They go to and the do their. Their prayers, right? Yeah. They take Nova and Brent. They pray to the bomb, and that's where we get the big shock scene that they wanted, because yeah. they all take off their their masks and they reveal their inmost self, which scared the hell out of me. When I was <laughs> Again, a G-rated film. There, guys like us carry those scars for life. <laughs> that was intense. That was an yes. intense, really horrifying scene and from what i understand the original versions of the makeup were going to be worse oh wow yeah so there were there were versions that were rejected because they were just too horrific huh. well they yeah, kind of they, they kind of based it on uh like that invisible man mm-hmm. remember the mm-hmm. model that you'd right. have the invisible man where it showed all the uh the inner workings of man and mm-hmm. uh yeah i mean they just remembered the you know how horrific the skull basically looked when you could see mm-hmm. underneath the skin and all the veins Without and everything skin. else and so yeah, they could have gone even further but definitely yeah yeah but i yeah, mean so- that really works if they you know they wanted those things of like the shock moment and they wanted something to maybe top the other ending well they got their shock moment oh yeah oh yeah yeah. And it's macabre too. Well, doing that and then singing all things bright and beautiful in this in this cathedral settings like wow. <laughs> now, it, it would have been even better had they had that cathedral setting and you know they pull the face and then someone's like hello Dolly. Well, hello. 
Barbara Streisand comes walking down the stairs. And then Japanese zeros come over and bomb the whole thing. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, the Japanese come in and they, they you know, strafe the, the guerrilla army, save the mutants. We've got and to use these scene and cue credits. Right, yes, yes. <laughs> But then after that, then, yes, they separate Brent and Nova. Brent gets thrown into a cell with Taylor. So this is where we start getting, you know, like five more minutes of Charlton Heston. <laughs> and uh, they, they uh, you know, recognize each other. And Brent tells him, you know, these nutballs have got a bomb. Right. He tells him, I don't know what it is. I saw the letters Alpha Omega on it. And, of course, Taylor's like, oh, it's the doomsday bomb. It's got a cobalt casing. <laughs> it's like, you know, we got to stop it. And uh, then uh, one of the uh, mutants comes in and forces them to fight. Right. And fight they do. And, again, G-rating. Oh, yeah. Brutal. Brutal fight. Right. It's a... They've got this club with spikes. The, the bars in the jail have these big spikes on them, right? And you can see where it's going to go as they're fighting. Um, they, you know, they're wailing around at each other. Nova escapes her guard by biting him. She right. runs down the hall, and when she sees Taylor, she tries and say to say his name, and it comes out as like a That. The guard that's forcing them to fight loses his concentration, right. and that's just enough for them to take him out on the spikes. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, there's all this blood on the walls right. and stuff. G-rating. And not not to pull on threads that we shouldn't, but I'm going to. <laughs> why, why did they keep Taylor alive? Anyway, what purpose did he serve? He wasn't, they weren't using him as like labor or any, he was, why, why keep him alive? Well, he had knowledge of the past. Maybe they thought that would be useful. I don't know. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. That's a good point. Uh, according to the uh, novel, uh, <laughs> All right, they were using uh, Taylor as uh, livestock to procreate a race of super mutants. Well, you know. Are you kidding? I've no. never heard. Oh, <laughs> totally. Hey, I bought it, man. That's I, good I'm, I'm going to work on a book. <laughs> work on a book, man. That's right. It's, what it's... other reason could they keep him around for? Because I agree with you. What what purpose did he serve? He was a threat. And why was have he... them fight to the death now? <laughs> well, I mean, well, he maybe, wasn't maybe much he... of a threat in the cage. Right. In the jail. No. And he is the only, no. technically, the only human that speaks so he is an right. anomaly they might mm -hmm. have just been studying him or something yep yeah, i don't think they too. i don't think they saw him or brent as a threat you uh, know with their with their mental powers right yeah yeah there were a lot of mutants that didn't have the mental powers though so maybe mm, i think they all did I thought some didn't because they were trying to take like the women and children into cover or something like that. I'll have to rewatch it again. I think at um, one point though they said that the whole community was supposed to do like level something thought projection. Right. You know, so I think they all had some capability. Could they all uh, show their inner selves too, or was it just the 
main mutants are. No, I think they were all. All of them. Yeah, when like they're all in the, the cathedral, they they all have their masks off. Mm. So when they're born, they're given a little baby mask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that they have to keep changing out. I, you know. Oh, Timmy, you're getting too big for that mask. <laughs> Which would be a horrible sight, wouldn't it? Bobby, <laughs> <laughs> my mask is too tight. You know. Oh, it's I time always... to get another one at the mask shop. Did they have a mask? Did they employ? <laughs> did they employ a mask maker? They I'm must have, right? Sure. Somebody yeah, had a factory in the there was a guy somewhere. with a whole ton of latex and a bunch of molds, man. It was probably a <laughs> very human society crumbled except for the latex. It was a very revered position in the My community. Descendants of Rick Baker <laughs> making these masks for the mutant community. What I always wondered as a kid is if all their faces were sticky. Oh. You know, because they all look moist. I imagine them smooth like like snakeskin. Oh, that's really? The, that's the way I would imagine it. Yeah. Uh, I always thought they were probably like Slightly like sticky. wet. Like well, see, each, each time gel. they they originally had skin, and then every every time they take the mask off, it pulls a layer off until yeah. you start seeing <laughs> right. the veins underneath and everything. Hey, uh, you yeah, know, know, if I... we don't wear the masks for a while, the skin grows back. <laughs> 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 Heresy! Oh my Put god. Put your mask on. Put your mask on, damn it. <laughs> so yeah, so they they kill the 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 jailer. Uh the apes are, are now the apes are in the building. The apes get in, start killing everybody. Um Brent and, and Taylor and uh Nova get out of the cell. The plan is, oh, we're, we got to, you know, shut down the bomb. But as uh, as uh, chaos ensues, unfortunately, Nova gets shot. And I think at that point, Taylor's pretty much like, F it. I'm yeah, done. Right. That's right. <laughs> uh, they still make their way to the cathedral. And uh, the apes bust in. Mendez, who is like the... The, the lead mutant is there already firing the bomb up. Mm -hmm. He starts trying to talk to the apes, but Ursus is having none of it and has him shot. Uh, then he's like, well, let's tear down this thing that he's, you know, trying to, to launch here. And Zaius is like, oh, don't mess with it. It's man's creation. We don't know what to do. And he's like, ah, man's creation. So the apes do like a block and tackle thing and start pulling the bomb down. Uh, Brent and Taylor show up and they're like, oh, holy crap. These guys don't know what they're doing. They're trying to figure out how to stop. And then this is like the scene that really got me. So Brent goes off. He's over by the the organ. He yeah. smashes on the organ to get their attention to stop them. Starts getting in a gunfight with the apes. For an astronaut, he is really good with a rifle. He takes out a whole <laughs> bunch of gorillas. Then he gets shot. And I mean, he gets like graphically shot. He's oh. hitting the head, the chest. You see him up against the wall with all these bullets. Riddled with bullets, yeah. Gee, movie. Yep. Yep. That's right. So he's dead. Hey, we weren't wimps back in the seventies, okay? I, I know we had we had like real downer endings, but oh yeah, 
and this is this is one of the most downerish. Then uh, uh, Taylor is coming from the other side. He gets shot in the chest. All this, he's holding his chest over his heart. All this blood is pumping out. And he's telling Zayas, look, it's a doomsday weapon. It's going to, you know, blow up the planet. You got to help me. And Zayas is like, help me help you. You know, your kind did this and this and this. And that's the moment where Taylor's totally like, F you. Bloody <laughs> <Done>. bastards. <laughs> right. Bloody Reaches bastards. the control rod and turns it. And then you guys remember the, the narration at the end. Paul Freeze, like total deadpan, right? Yes. And uh, I, I'm going to pull it up so I don't totally blow it. He says, in one of the countless billions of galaxies in the universe lies a medium-sized star. And one of its satellites, a green and insignificant planet, is now dead. No music, nothing. Nope. It's over. That's it, kids. That's the story. Star. Go eat dinner. Clean up your popcorn and get out of the theater. Right. It's just yeah, like, right. I remember seeing that as a kid and just like, what the hell did I just see? Oh, my God. I mean, they did pretty good for shock ending, I think, actually. Well, I guess you that's know? the last ape movie then, right? <laughs> <laughs> this this goes back to Mad Men when John Draper's little boy Bobby is watching the first film and they zoom into his face and the little kid's just like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's like now, it's like, you know, like the ending of No Time to Die and now they're trying to figure out how to bring Bond back. It's like, same thing. Just blow up the whole planet. Now we got to figure out how to bring the apes back. Well, yeah. this is the thing. Both uh, Heston and Dick Zanuck. So Dick Zanuck, his father, really was in charge of the company, and Dick Zanuck was being pushed out. And he was like, "Yeah, let's just blow it up. We won't do any more of these movies." You know, there were. This was the sentiment. Like, okay, one is enough. Fine, we'll blow it up. We don't have to do any more. <laughs> but it, it made $19 million, which for a $2.5 million movie, it was like, holy cow, we got to do another one. Yeah. And that was good. But, you know, <laughs> keep in mind, back then, they didn't have billion-dollar box offices like today. Right, yeah. $19 million right. was huge at the box office. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Considered a major hit. Uh, so but, based on that box office, there needed to be... I don't know, a return to the planet of the apes? An escape. <laughs> An escape. 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 <laughs> but, you know, it's funny, even the people who made it weren't necessarily happy with it. Ted Post said he felt it was a very negative um, ending. Oh, yeah, he and, hated uh, the ending. Yeah, so did James Franciscus. Um but I mean, but Charlton Heston guess... loved it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was a don't got to do one of these again. <clears throat> there was a proposed alternate ending where right. uh, the doomsday the the bomb was not the doomsday bomb; it was right. just a nuclear bomb. And uh, Brent Taylor and Nova es escape the city before the bomb goes off. Mm -hmm. Go back to Ape City. And since the army and all the, the, the militaristic faction of ape society is dead now, they basically free the humans and create like a 
try, try to you know try to build a better society flash forward like a hundred years and you have a new lawgiver preaching to a bunch of ape and human children just like the end of battle for the planet mm-hmm. of the apes yeah so they saved that for battle for the planet there was also well, another proposed ending where <clears throat> excuse me there was going to be an ape human child yes they shot footage for that too yeah yeah they did makeup tests and shot footage for it and they didn't do it because they were afraid that it would be promoting bestiality <laughs> that was too far to go for a g-rated movie yeah that was too far to go. That was too far yeah, to go. They would have had to go on PG at that point, and they weren't willing to go to that rating. So. <laughs> right, right. Uh, back then, it would be GP. <laughs> GP. Yeah. Rated right. GP. <laughs> I know a lot of people crap on this film, but, uh, I mean, I don't know. You look at other sequels, you know, Alien and Aliens or Terminator, Terminator 2. I mean, I think the thing is, yes, tonally, it's very different from the first movie. It's it's not, you know, so much an allegory or moralizing. But I like, even though it's totally, you know, batshit crazy, it's, it's, it does this interesting world building, you know, based off of the first film. Um, it doesn't, you know, I, I would say, yeah, Brent's not a very dynamic character, but it it gives us some really interesting places to go um, from the first film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. And um, we get uh, references to Beneath the Planet of the Apes in battle for the Planet of the Apes. We see kind of the, mm-hmm. the genesis of of the mutants. Right. <clears throat> in, in the director's cut, I think, of battle, because there's, um, of, of course, battle for the Planet of the Apes takes place on the west coast so there's a yeah. scene like after the battle where um mendez he's the, the character is mendez he's like the, the the forerunner of the mendez in this one says you know we've we've got to get out of here we can make our way make our way east and we'll take the bomb we'll take the bomb with us we can never use this bomb we need to we need to venerate this bomb this bomb is what created us we need to see what we are as beautiful and and that came from the bomb so we must uh worship the bomb and make sure it's never used was the beginning of the worship of the bomb Mm. this bomb this is the bomb that can never be detonated we must we must venerate this bomb to keep basically the world safe and then, of course, they're not. They're just showing the beginning signs of right. Their right. skin's just starting to. They just don't look like they have bad sunburns, really. <laughs> Afterwards, starting to peel a little bit. It's not the full. Well, you know, at some point, we're going to have to go deeper into the Apes franchise. I'm sure we will uh, at a later date. But um, this is a good discussion. Really enjoyed uh, talking with everyone today. Uh, a lot of meat there. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is the point in the podcast, though, where we have our sensor sweep. And, well, actually, uh, we'll be, before a- we do the sensor sweep, can I get you all to bow your heads for a moment? May the blessings of the bomb almighty and the fellowship of the holy fallout descend upon us all this day and forevermore. Amen. All things bright and beautiful. Oh. <laughs>
<laughs> all right, sensor sweep. Find a little bomb <laughs> pendant like they all had. A little <laughs> missile pendant. Everybody, hey, put yeah. your masks back on and let's do the sensor Mask sweep. Wow, that was great. Uh, well done. Well done. Okay, well, we'll have a, a uh, small word from our sponsor, which happens to be Lord Budraw. Uh, we have a little promo we're going to play. And um, here we go with the promo. Please leave your eyes at the door. You will not need them. Lord Bloodraw's Nerve Rackin' Auditorium presents the best of old-time radio, horror, and science fiction. Tales of terror and the uncanny that unfold on the stage of your imagination. Come experience the magic of old-time radio horror. Lord Bloodraw's Nerve Rackin' Auditorium is available on Spotify, Apple, Google, and other podcast providers. Lord Bloodraw's Nerve Rackin' Auditorium. When you seek the darkness. And we're back. Lord Blood Raw. Uh, care to share with us some of the uh, shows and or programming you have coming up? Absolutely. Uh, as you just heard, I've got a podcast going on called Lord Blood Raw's Nerve Rack and Auditorium, presenting uh, the best of old time radio horror. You can get that anywhere. You can get podcasts, Apple, Google, Stitcher. Um, go ahead and look for it or at um, anchor.fm slash Lord Blood Raw. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it's really fun. It's it's really fun to listen back to these old um, horror and sci-fi episodes that are still, I mean, a lot of them are still very affecting and very, very chilling. It's fun stuff. Check it out. And, of course, my weekly series, Lord Blood Draws Nerve Rack and Theater, is still going. I put up a new episode on the website, lordbloodraw.com, every Friday. You can also check that website to see where else you can... Uh, stream episodes and find uh, episodes uh, streaming on demand on Roku or on regular TV all over the place. Again, that's lordbloodraw.com. Uh, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash lordbloodraw, where I do a third weekly series called Lord Bloodraw's Cathode Zone, where I host episodes of classic genre TV, uh, stuff like Lights Out, One Step Beyond, uh, Space Patrol, Captain Very. Zero, that kind of thing. And that uh, happens every Friday if you sign up at patreon.com, patreon.com slash Lord Blood Draw. And I guess the big news is we're going to try it again this year and hopefully it'll work. <laughs> uh, Creatures Con here Yay. in the Bay Area is coming back August 7th okay. at the Concord Plaza, Concord, California. And uh, we've got a growing lineup of guests. Uh, Beverly Washburn, from uh, who appeared in Star Trek, but also co-starred in the cult classic Spider Baby, is going to be there. And we're going to do a showing of Spider Baby and do a Q&A with her. Uh, we've got uh, horror expert David Skull coming oh. back. And as a matter of fact, stay tuned because we are planning to do an event the day before the con at uh the arinda which would be a film event with david skull uh at the arinda the saturday before the convention which will happen on on sunday the sunday the 7th august 7th so, so uh, cool. yeah a lot of stuff going on there you can check out creaturescon.com for uh tickets and uh more info Fantastic. You know, not not to brag or anything, but August 6th is going to be your Truly's birthday. So ah. it's going to be a fun weekend. There you go. <laughs> I All appreciate right. you planning that around my birthday weekend. <laughs> that was, of course, we, that was that was the goal. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that's going to be cool. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. And and all of that good Lord Blood Raw programming out there, folks. I mean, really give a listen. Um, you know, it, it's a lot of fun. And Lord Blood Raw, thank you for being on the show. We oh. really, really <laughs> enjoy having you uh, here on Planet 8 and look forward to the next visit in the near future. So do I. Thank you so much. I, I love being here. Okay, kids. Another great episode done. That's a wrap. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8, signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.